Hey, hey, Podnutians. Welcome to the Mini PC Show, episode 120. I think I lied in the YouTube description, so I'm going to sit here and delay everything while I type 2-0 and hit save. My name is Dordor Geek, owner, operator of This is a show all about big talk, little machines. Uh, and first and foremost, I got to say, I thank everyone for their continued patronage, patronage, patronage. Even though we haven't been able to put out a lot of episodes, uh, this show is brought to you by Bill, a.k.a. Esoteric Universe. Thank you for all of your support throughout these years. Thank every Podnutians for all their support throughout the years. Whether you call it subscribing or following or patronizing or Twitter following or whatever, thank everyone for coming out. Thank everyone for being part of the greater community at large. Before I go any further, i got to say, how's everything going, Rich? Long time no here. Boy, uh, you know, if, I don't know how many listeners don't know us personally or interact with us personally, but uh, I've been all over the stinking country. I've been to New York and back. I was three weeks in New York and so glad to be back. Typically, uh, like Long Island, a winter in Long Island just means there's no leaves and the grass is brown. And occasionally it's punctuated by snow that it's gone in a couple of days. Well, the three weeks I was there, it was all snow all the time. And I'm like, damn. And I actually had to work on my truck outside. So a lot, lot was going on. Uh, glad to be back. And then uh, I'm going to Texas to uh, practice some skills or learn some new ones this weekend. Well, you know, practice makes attempt at perfect, so that's good. Um, I will also give a quick shout out to uh, Charles, Red, and Chatter. If you would like to join us live, a.k.a. Uh, there's multiple ways you can do it. You can follow us on Discord. You can follow us on um, Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook, or you can just shoot me an email directly and say, hey, can I get an email notification before you guys go live? And I can add you guys into the um, if this, then that uh, stream feed to where when the posting says that we're going to go live, you'll get an email as well. Um, we here are open to a bunch of different ways things can be done. Um, now, quick tangent. I have to first and foremost apologize to everyone. No matter what anybody else says, the lack of shows from this network has been directly causational from my fault. Um, long story short, a year ago, injuries, injuries, hurt, pain, just found out two, uh, less than two months ago. Well, the issue is basically um, slimming of uh, three discs on both sides of my vertebrae, causing essentially a pinched nerve. And then I have a pinched ulna, ulna? nerve which is the funny bone which is causing pain from my elbow to my wrist and the spine is causing pain from my spine to my shoulder um i'm finally seeing some um like less pain so it's better but by the end of the day it comes all back so it's still a little bit difficult to podcast but when i know i get to hang out with either brian um brett rich or somebody it it definitely helps make it a lot easier so with that said it's been nearly two months, Rich. Is there anything that happened in the mini PC verse that you think is outstanding and we need to talk about? Or is there anything new in your mini PC verse that you think that we have to talk about? Um, so my couple of things going on in 2021 with me. Like, so my motto is kind of to what what haven't I finished in 2020 that I need to finish in 2021. And also, it, if I spun around and showed you my office, it looks like a bomb went off. So, um, <laughs> I'm like looking at the pile. I, I dumped my range bag and went to the range yesterday. So, there's like magazines and holsters and stuff on the ground over there. Um, so, the, the other thing is organization. So... Like, what do I need to do to better manage my infrastructure here? So I have, and I'm kind of almost going to repeat what I said on the earlier podcast, uh, the, the other podcast I do just before I get here. So what, um, I've got a bunch of headless Linux machines. And so and I'm using Linux in the broadest amount, broadest term. So some of them are ESXi, some of them are ESXi ARM, some are ESXi Intel, some are the majority of other ones are DietPy. And so I've got a big, you know, ARM infrastructure is the majority. And I need to be able to manage it. 
And so I, I just threw Ansible on one on my Odroid N2, which is running DietPy. I did the key exchange so they can SSH to each other and not log in each time. And so I'm setting up some basic Ansible commands so I can do a shutdown on my infrastructure. Like, hey, if I have a power outage, whether it's like a UPS going down. I do have fairly big UPSs on everything. So I'll have five-minute power outages. Uh, they're less and less frequent, but it used to be like twice a month we'd have a five-minute power outage. And that isn't the case for the most part anymore. But what I want to be able to do is further automate things. So like, fine, I can run an Ansible script and shut down everything. But what I want to do is uh, further enhance that, like throw a Pi Zero or something on the UPS that it's plugged into it and it's monitoring the UPS. And if the power's out for five minutes or 15 minutes, let's say probably 15, because I easily have 15 minutes worth of you know battery power, start shutting things down. Like, start shutting uh, ESXi servers down because I don't use them for the most part right. for anything important. And then shut down the uh, file servers, so the Open Media Vault servers, and go through things. So I'm trying to do a little bit more automation and have things work for me. Well, and I think you used the right word in our private chat, orchestration. Everything that you mentioned to me, I visualize as orchestration, like a master conductor saying, okay, we have this event, it's happened, now it's my job to orchestrate to you, all you operating systems, all you services, all you things to what to do. Um, mm -hmm. I, I also like the idea of, I believe, you can also say, well, I'm going to throw this X board into my environment, and then the orchestration system can say, when I see this X kind of board, make it another node of this system for fault tolerance mm -hmm. or for just more storage kind of thing. Um, it's the kind of thing I'm between you and me, I'm utterly fascinated with, but I can't see a use case in my petty little, you know, amateur environment. All right. So I'll, I'll give you a, for instance, so I'm running a bunch of diet pie. Now I can't do, I can't orchestrate with Ansible. I, I looked it up unless the, the search result I got, unless it was dated, and they included some way that I can run Ansible and do the, you know, DietPy update command. Because it's not just a simple DietPy update. Uh, there's a couple of questions you have to answer after that. But what I can do is say, hey, do an apt update on all of my DietPy. Uh, and so you can have different groupings. So your inventory list can be, and I'm going to hypothetical because I'm going to make because it'll make it a little bit easier for people. So say you have DietPy web servers, you have DietPy file servers, you have DietPy database servers. And so they all belong to the DietPy group. So if you want to do an update of DietPy, you can just say, hey, uh, all of the DietPy servers do an apt update or all of the web servers do this kind of thing. I need to patch the web servers or the database servers. I need to deploy a patch or the file servers. I need to deploy a patch And this way. You can operate on those things. And the other thing that I do um, to everything that is in my infrastructure, I do SNMP monitoring with Observium. So I actually have a script that, you know, a shell script for that. So I can now deploy that shell script with Ansible to uh, a new machine in my environment. So that that's kind of cool. So I got to work on that. Like, hey, you know, uh, throw the SNMP daemon on, and here's the SNMP config script, and I can deploy that by Ansible. So that that's something I got to be working on, and maybe I can actually configure uh, Observium to. Uh, bring on the new server, you know, to monitor. So haven't checked that out. I got to check Ansible and Observium. So it, it's kind of branching out in my brain as I talk about it. Right. So then what I gather is, while it is orchestration, if you have multiples of the same templatable thing, whether it is operating system, DiaPi, CentOS, Ubuntu, Debian, Raspbian, whatever, or web servers, or a bunch of database servers, or a bunch of multimedia servers, as long as they all can uh, take advantage of SSH commands, 
then they're templatable in Ansible. So then maybe it might be more applicable to call Ansible like a template-driven, um, oh, like scenario mechanism. I mean, it's, it's one of those things to me. It's hard to explain. Well, you can so Ansible. I haven't gotten to playbooks yet, but there are playbooks in Ansible which um, you can write more sophisticated things. Right now, I'm pretty much what they call ad hoc commands. That's that's my level of you know customization that I've done at this point. I, I actually haven't looked into you know I know playbooks exist. I haven't looked into it. I'm sure I probably can find out there on GitHub or something like, hey, how about a playbook to shut down my VMs and then shut down the ESXi host to do a graceful shutdown type thing. I probably can find, a, a, you know, somebody has written something like that already. Yeah, and, and that's one of the advantages, I think, to playbooks is it kind of is very self-explanatory to what it can be and they're shareable, which I will say to me is a huge um, uplift to any kind of uh, open source um, tool ecosystem is when you can have like plugins or playbooks that you can share with other people. It makes it infinitely easier to grow. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm heading. Um, I just want to, I need to simplify this stuff. I do have things, you know, come into my infrastructure and maybe I play with it a while and then go away. So that kind of ease, which whether you think of things in Docker containers or virtual machines, I've always thought of you know Pi devices equally as disposable. And I and I don't mean I'm throwing away hardware. I mean I can pull the micro SD card out, flash a new operating system onto it, and have it do something completely different. So it's in that mindset, in my mind mindset, in my mindset. Let me say that correctly. Uh, that. A virtual machine is equally as disposable as a Raspberry Pi operating system. Oh, yeah. Absolutely agree with you on that. And then leading into the elephant in the room, um, there has been a couple announcements since the last time we did a show in the micro universe. Um, long story short, there's been a lot of RISC-V announcements. Now, quick tangent. I might be wrong, but I believe the last show I corrected a swarth of people in pronouncing risk v wrong and because i could have swore i heard like an official channel say what it was pronounced as and it wasn't risk v and then i hear a bunch of podcasters pronounce it as risk v and then i'm like you guys are idiots it's not risk v and then i hear official announcements saying it's pronounced risk v so i'm really confused so just moving forward if i said people were wrong and they were right i apologize if i'm misremembering my past then, hey, memory's flawed. Let's get over it. Two, the big elephant in the room is the RPI 2040, which is the Pico-like. Um, the only way I can really describe this to even close to the PC layman, it's a Arduino-like, aka super affordable, super simplistic microcontroller ecosystem that the Raspberry Pi announced, where the, like, the main most sophisticated board, in air quotes, is $4. And then they have a whole bunch of other boards off of it. I do believe they're actually less money. And think of this as a microcontroller. Think of this as the unit sitting in the automated door at your grocery store that just has a simple sensor. When it senses movement, open the door. It's that little like level of microcontroller, but it's Raspberry Pi, which means one, the community behind this are going to be ravenous, like all over the place. And like, putting this thing in places no one ever imagined, but two, sharing the code that they use back upstream. With that stated, this can run a very, very simple Pi, like web server, a Pi server, I can't remember what it's called, which Python is the simplest and most elegant and most powerful language. I, I really do feel like it is the center of that Venn diagram of those three things. Simplest, easiest to understand and the most powerful programming language that has ever existed. And you can use it on these microcontroller devices. I haven't bought any yet. I have to, I want to, I haven't yet, but I will. Yeah. I don't know if I got the wrong link here, but I'm not showing the same thing uh, when I clicked on that, but I, I see what you're showing. I used to play with pick microcontrollers and what was the basic stamps back in the day. 
And so that's kind of the predecessor to um, the, all of the Arduinos. And one of the big, big things that the Arduino has is um, that usually it has a Wi-Fi built into it. So now you have something that's super cheap and the Wi-Fi is there and existing. So I'm like looking for an Arduino device around here. Actually, I have one right over here. It's a power strip. And so each of the uh, 110 volt outlets are individually controllable. The bummer is it's got four USB ports and they're not individually controllable. They're only bulk controllable. So you can flash that with something like Tasmodo and have it. It originally was designed and marketed to like phone home with data. That's why you get it reasonably priced. But that once you flash something like this power strip with Tasmodo, all of a sudden it's only local. It plugs into like my home automation assistant and they all talk and they're controllable. And that's, that's the beauty of these, you know, low cost boards. They don't have to be crazy sophisticated. Um, you can do, I think there was a hack a day. Uh, it, it might be from earlier this year, but you can do soil, uh, moisture monitoring and it can just report back in Arduino I have like I said I've only script kiddied that kind of stuff I haven't done a whole lot of you know sophisticated work with Arduino boards but if the pie is out there in that same space that's going to make you know one a lot more googleable documentation a lot more you know script type stuff out there because the the Raspberry Pi community is huge and also, it's going to mean that there's going to be a lot more code out there that you can tweak and hack. Oh, yeah. It, it, I have no problem saying it's going to be insane. The amount of an air quote Pico code that this thing is going to stir is off the charts. Um, and yes, um, Charles in the chat did say it right. This can run C++ code or Python.code kind of thing. It depends on which server you put on it. And it's basically a processor to think of it. We're Anybody can take this processor and put it on any board and you have basically completely different IOs, ins and outs. Now, tangent, do you know what else is just like a simple, just basic, like in and out kind of uh, microcontroller that I, I, I got gifted to me here recently, Rich? Oh, I don't know. Uh, it was from a fantastic fella in Nevada named Zoke, and he sent me a monoprice sous vide. Um, <laughs> immersion immersion emulsion cooking device which basically means oh. you put things in airtight bags and you drop them in water I just use ziploc bags yeah, yeah same. and it keeps it at a very precise temperature like less than 0.1 degree change in the time of cooking and i have four words for you rich deep fried pork ribs oh, yeah really i i gotta give that a try i haven't tried that out i've so I've been sous viding steak, uh, which, you know, typically I'll do two hours at 145 degrees with, what is it, the Montreal steak seasoning on it. And the, I do chicken breasts, and that's two hours at 100, I'm sorry, I reverse that. Steak is two hours at 135 degrees. Chicken breast is two hours at 145 degrees. And I'll throw this like, I'll use lorry seasoned salt on the breasts and like mojo seasoning and just throw it in a bag. Like usually two breasts to, I don't know what size, maybe it's a gallon Ziploc bag. I'm not sure. And I'll use like potato chip clips and I'll clip the bags to the side of the pot. And I also found at Publix, that's our supermarket here in Florida. They do some prepared chicken breasts, like chicken cordon bleu type stuff. So what I'll do is I'll uh, throw them in there also and then just, oh, and I didn't tell the end story. So the end is like two hours in the sous vide and then either five minutes under the broiler or five minutes aside as like steak on the grill. So I'll, or chicken breast on the grill. I'll just do five minutes aside on a low temperature because you want to get them browned on the outside. I don't know if that adds flavor to it, but it's just what us humans are accustomed to. But the sous vide is phenomenal, and I, I just thought about it today. I wonder if you can sous vide sweet potato. Um, yeah, you can sous vide anything. Um, but yeah, if you have the torch, you use a torch. If not, you use other means for it kind of thing. Um, either pan fry with hot oil or broiler. And yes, 
the browning, aka caramelizing of the proteins on the exterior does change the flavor. It enhances the flavors the way I put it. Um, the two things I'll I'll suggest you to try is chicken breast with literally you know, like take the chicken breast and thaw it out, and then you jab it like you're Jack Nicholson in The Shining, and just take take a fork and just make a whole holes in it, and then put a little bit of Italian dressing in oh, the bag, okay. or from the one of the best movies ever, Trading Places, you put some literally a tablespoon of frozen concentrated orange juice in the bag with a chicken breast and let it sous vide, and just three words: say magnifique. <laughs> but yes, sorry for the tangent, people. Um, so the sous vide are is yours? I have a dumb sous vide. Is yours like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, okay. whatever, or something? Just a no, dumb no. one too. Mine's like a forty-something dollar one on sale, and that's all I need. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with the one. I'll tell you. So, other than the tech end, I'll, I'll tell you what I know. Um, I have I don't know if it was a sixty dollar, forty dollar one I bought it a while ago at, at the beginning of COVID. So we're talking almost a year year ago, I guess. And the the more expensive ones, or I don't know if it, let me let me just back that up. You might want to look at how many watts it is. So if if it's like my family, it's me, my wife, and my daughter. My daughter's in college right now. So typically I'll, sh- I'll cook maybe two steaks or actually I've been actually cooking the steaks and the chicken breast together. So I'll have like two uh, steaks and I'll have like four chicken breasts and I'll cook them together. And I told you, and it, and it didn't seem to matter that I cooked it at 135 versus 145 for the chicken. So that, and you could cook three hours at the same temperature and it might make it a little more tender. It just means it takes longer also. I've seen people on YouTube talk about it where they say, hey, you know, there's, after two hours, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference. And the, the other thing, sorry for the tangent, but what it also means is you don't have to buy the best, most tender steak. It's better if you do, but at the price of steak right now i i i love steak don't don't get me wrong about that but i'll try to buy a cheaper cut you know with good marbling and throw it in the sous vide and even a a steak that you wouldn't normally eat and enjoy like you might eat it but you might not enjoy it you'll actually enjoy a lesser cut that's not as tender because it will get tender in the sous vide and it won't dry up and get you know, nasty. That That's the other good part about cooking with the sous vide. Yeah. I'll say first, I always want to talk about the negative about something before proclaiming the positives of it. The negative about the sous vide is yes, it requires more time than traditional cooking typically. And it requires more prep time than your traditional cooking. Uh, traditional cooking, you can be extremely lazy, defrost stuff, throw it in a pan, throw seasoning on it, and you're done. The advantage to sous vide is you get a large window of opportunity of being done like the typical steak you can run from one to four hours and it will be just as done any time in that time frame the other big plus is if you are particular about how done your steak should be medium rare medium medium rare medium rare rare whatever if you have a very particular window that you like your steaks to be in or your pork chops or your chicken uh to be in then you cannot beat a sous period it is unbeatable. It is unchallengeable. It is the god of cooking devices. Then when it's done in that, in air quotes cooking, you can either set a pan on high, put oil or butter in it, let it get super hot, throw whatever you want in it, and it finishes off on the outside. Um, my wife understands after eating like weeks of my souve that when I tell her when I'm done my nine to five job, I'm 23 years in, seven years left, I'm going to be a cook of some kind. She now, I think, understands what I talk about. Okay, what, one last sous vide story. So I do have a YouTube video on this, and it's mostly plagiarized because somebody else did a YouTube video on it also. I love filet mignon with red wine reduction sauce. Now, I probably only eat it once or twice a year because my wife doesn't let me cook that that much. I really do enjoy it. So the first thing I did with the sous vide is uh, typically what I'll do is I'll buy the whole loin at Costco, and you might have to trim it a little bit. Uh, you can get it like pre-trimmed at some Costco's. Some Costco's don't pre-trim it. And you got to get rid of the uh, silver skin. The silver skin and you know whatever the fat and all that kind of stuff. Um, and usually for 
and I don't know what the current price is because I haven't looked at it in like a year, but usually a loin in the $120 range, you'll get 10 pieces of filet mignon and you'll get some big pieces. You'll get some smaller pieces. And like typically you could serve filet mignon to 10 people and I've done it for 110 bucks. So when you think about what it costs for you to go to dinner at some place like Ruth's Chris, and, and don't get me wrong, Ruth's Chris is a great experience. I we had a favorite waiter there again. I don't want to sound bougie like I went there a whole bunch. We we'd go like three times a year on birthdays, you know, like my my birthday, my wife's birthday, that kind of thing. But when you think about what Ruth's Chris costs per head to have filet mignon, it's pretty damn expensive. But the ability to get like a Costco loin, feed ten people for basically ten bucks a head, filet mignon. And the recipe I have is for a red wine reduction sauce. It takes about two hours to reduce it down. It's so good. It is so unbelievably good. And and I I always want to cook it. I always want to invite people over and cook it. My wife's like, no, I don't want to clean up and blah blah blah. It, it's just it's so good. I just want to make it and share it. That's that's my thing. I understand and I absolutely agree. The last cooking thing I'll say, Rich, you can finish it up with there. You want um. You can sous vide anything because anything has a particular range in doneness that makes it perfect. Whether it's spinach, if you're like the odd freak that likes kale or asparagus or broccoli, sweet potato, potato. What you got to remember is the inverse square law. Same thing with anything you sous vide. If the chicken breast is like a gigantor two plus inch thick chicken breast, you're going to need longer for that temperature to reach the middle of that chicken breast. So what you try to do is like when you use like steak cubes you cut things so they're proportionally about the same and then when that's the case you just spread them out in the bags put them in the bag vacuum tight them just ziploc bag them and then sous vide them and you're assured that whatever you come out with is perfect now when it comes out of the sous vide you can finish it with throwing it in a hot pan throwing it under the broiler throwing it in the deep fryer whatever you want to add that extra bit of like guy fieri like flavor town flavor kind of thing. But um, my goal now is to let, to convince the wife that I need a second sous vide before the end of this year. So I can sous vide the vegetables in one and the protein in another. Although, you know, depending on the group or what you're doing or the temperatures, like I, I'm just looking up right now, uh, quickly scanning. They're, they're talking about, I want to sous vide whole sweet potatoes, not diced sweet potatoes. And so they're talking about 175 degrees minimum of an hour. And I'm like, really? I, I figure it'd be longer than that. But because I cook them in the oven at like 425 yeah. uh, for 90 minutes. Uh, the, uh, I, I would think at that temperature, it would need like three times more than that. Right, right. That's I, I got to read a little deeper when I can pay attention to it. Um, but yeah, just, just like anything you're interested in, um, I now own three 3D printers, one's operational, one's in the box, one needs some tuning. And, you know, I go through fits and starts in, in like sous vide. I, I could definitely see wanting a second sous vide. Um, and I'm not sure about, you know, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth connected sous vides and automation and timing, those types of things. I, I've heard people say that you could take um, if anything's frozen, just to add an hour. So you can take a piece of frozen steak, and instead of two hours at 145, I'm sorry, 135, I did that twice already, do it for three hours at 135. And you probably, I'm guessing you could throw it in the pot in the morning, set a timer, you know, whatever it is, uh, by Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. And when you come home at 5 o'clock, if you actually go to work anymore, you could have that frozen steak cooked and ready to, you know, be like I would do. I'd throw it on the grill five minutes aside. But you disconnected there. Yeah, I, I kind of clipped. I, I like that. I was done. But that, that's what I I would do. And again, now that I work from home, period, I don't know that I have use for an automation other than holy cow! I sat at my desk and I didn't throw the sous vide on, and it's going to be two hours from now before it's done. That that's the only holy cow event. Well, I mean, even if I went to work nine to five, I still wouldn't buy the expensive one. I would literally buy the cheap physical timer, like Christmas light thing, and use that before I would buy an expensive, in air quotes, 
SUV. Um, it's my normal way of rationing out responsibility. Have the SUV doing the SUVing and have the $5 one with the dial timer, yeah. timer control when stuff comes on or not. Now, uh, we have to get back to at least some mini PCs. So what I'm going to say <laughs> is I told people last year, easily January 2020, if not earlier, two facts about the company of Microsoft. Microsoft one. Uh, their goal is to be the number one leading security company in the world. And they're well on their way to that. But the second thing I said, which I don't think I put enough ump behind it, is that the VS Code Editor, Visual Studio Code Editor, freely available on GitHub and very extensible on GitHub, will be the number one um, editor available everywhere. Um, and it's now official. Uh, but of course, a lot of websites did a lot of uh, clickbaity trolley headlines like this heads up Microsoft repo secretly installed on all Raspberry Pi Linux OS's. You know me, I know you. The truth is somewhere in the middle. This headline is not the truth. What the truth is, is the Raspberry Pi OS, Raspbian, okay? not sorry, not Raspbian, not Debian, not Armbian, but Raspbian, the official Raspberry Pi OS, added a um, simple um, um, source to the install tree, which will let you install VS Code on Raspberry Pi. Now, lordy lordy, you know, really, it's not the end of the world. Number one, number number two, Visual Studio Code is just about the best text editor for programmatic code manipulation thing I've ever witnessed in my life. It's better than Notepad++, which was the king, was the czar for like six years straight. Well, VS Code came and demolished it. Now See, I've been using Sublime Raspberry Text. Sublime is good. Don't get me wrong. Sublime is good. Very good. But the plugins and extensibility of VS Code yeah, yep. is insane. And now it's available on the Raspberry Pi, which is good for the Raspberry Pi OS. I'm not going to say it's good for the users unless you are a VS Code user. And if you're not a VS Code user, then look up VS Codium. VS Codium is a version of VS Code with all the binary blobs stripped out, and it's just the op open source part of it. But um, Well, that's cool. Yeah, if you like VS Code, now you can install the Pixel OS, and you can get VS Code. And I will say, the last time I did a Diet Pi upgrade... I think it was a Diet Pi upgrade on my Mumble server. Yep, the one we're using right now. It literally prompted me and asked me. It said, you have a new repo added to your Diet Pi installation. And it is blah, 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 Microsoft.com. Do you want to keep it or do you want to get rid of it? Yep. Yeah. I'm running a headless Diet Pi running Mumble. No, I don't need it. Right. It's funny. I was going to mention that. I'm glad you did. I, I did exactly the same thing. I'm like, I'm headless, you know. Well, and, and to be honest, that's another like uh, feather in the cap of Diet Pie, in my humble opinion, because they literally took the time to ask me about it. Um, I don't care what the default is. You know, the tyranny of the default is a real thing. But if you at least prompt me when it happens, do you want it or not? Then it at least gives me a choice, even, you know, though I don't want it on almost anything I run, at least I get a choice. Yeah, I, I did appreciate that when I saw that pop up. I'm like, you guys are really looking out for me. Yeah, and I have donated to Diet Pie one time in the last, I think, 18 months, but I got to do it again. Uh, you know, there it's funny. I get shamed by people in different communities because I, I kind of in several different communities about good organizations, and I haven't been spreading the love, and I really need to I need to get on that. Well, I mean, you know, no one's perfect. When you get time, you can do it. Um. The other thing I wanted to just um, show a little bit more love towards is we do have a now a official and here's the link in the notes to the official Pine Talk podcast. It is basically at uh, pine64.org slash feed slash uh, MP3 because they're freedom hating people like me. There we don't release an AUG. We, we release an MP3. They're already up to episode three. And the truth be told, I'm almost envious of the guys who are doing this podcast uh, because they get direct feedback from the community, direct influence from Pine64 about what's the goings on, like like the Pine uh, phone keyboard 
is literally starting to ramp up production where it's going to be available here soon. Um, the next gen risk V uh, board is already like in the makings behind the scenes. We're going to know about it sooner or later. They know that the uh, pine tabs are going to come back available to be sold in less than two months. They know that the pine sole, the um, uh, soldering iron will be available in the next like week or two to, for uh, another round of pre-orders. And they try to dive into some of the development issues, development topics, development struggles that the community has been able to overcome. So if you are at all interested in mini computers, if you do not check out Pine Talk Podcast, then you're doing yourself a disservice is what I'll say. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of theirs. And, and also, I, I, had a, I don't know if I talked about this, but I, I did order a Wise as another company, but not... As favored in my 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 mind, I did that twice already. Uh, as Pine, but uh, they had a wise thermostat. Didn't work with my stupid. I have a high voltage setup, and I had to send it back. So I, I was a little unhappy. I'm waiting for my Pine time to come. They they said originally. I don't know if it was February or end of February. I think they're saying sometime in May. I don't care. Just get it right. You don't don't send me a dog. I I'm happy to wait. I, I just figured I'd like a smartwatch that lasts how many days? Like a week or two or whatever. They, I think they said 14 days. Right. So I'm kind of excited about that when it comes out. And again, I don't want it before it's ready. Yeah. To um, paraphrase Sagara Miyamoto from Nintendo, uh, a bad game is rushed. A good game can be delayed. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. rushing is not good. Um Next link I I have to bring only because it's the kind of thing that I'm really happy to see. And when I say that, I really do mean it. I don't like seeing projects stall, projects lose momentum, projects not be able to, you know, maintain what they're doing. And I saw a really good, important update is what I'll say. It might not be a flashy whiz bang update from Nextcloud, but basically they're introducing that um, everything involving PHP on their servers, they've optimized to a large degree to where even if Very you're cool. on the lowest processor, you, you should see somewhere to three to five times performance in, increase in the latest version. And to me, that's fantastic. That, that's a big deal because uh, I am a fan of Nextcloud, but I'm usually running it on an ARM device that may not be quite as powerful. So, all right, can, can we discuss what Nextcloud Hub is? Is that just rebranding or is that really a hub? It isn't really a hub. Um, Nextcloud was already a hub. It is a rebranding, but they're trying to give you a little bit more focus and attention on the fact that you can federize these devices and you can do stuff like Nextcloud Talk on them to where they're not just a file storage solution, but you can actually have communication with other people. Yeah, that, that is very cool. There, there are a lot of plugins. So there's, you know, video chat, voice chat. There's a lot of neat things that are in Nextcloud. So if you're interested in that, just definitely take a look at it give it a try. They do have some fairly simple installs. So it's, it's pretty easy to get up and running. Oh, and uh, I just want to say one of our listeners, uh, James Middendorf, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I remember on your show you're talking about uh, PyHole, and you can just run it from a script. You know, I think it's like a curl script or a wget in a pipe. So you just copy from the Git repository or their website, whatever it is, boom, it's one line install. Yeah, um, I did that with my um, PyHole because with DietPy, every three to six months it would randomly become non-responsive so what i did was i literally just loaded the basic debian for raspberry pi and was one line copy paste which included the download from i believe the wget pipe and then um uh, um, execute this command pipe and then like one more thing Mm -hmm. and it was able to stand it up very cleanly very very quickly um my next cloud is currently being ran on a rock 64 not a rock pro 64 it is a rock 64 with four gigs of RAM, some of the things are running really surprisingly well. And tangent between you and me, I, I was able, I don't know how, to convince my wife to let me upgrade from 100 megabit Verizon 5s to gigabit Verizon 5s, partially because for the first six months, it's actually $20 cheaper. 
And then hmm. after six months, it's only $8 more expensive. That's okay. So I'll take that. Um, so I now have easily like 600 megs up and down. Okay. Gig Ooh. is supposed to be like 880. Okay. I'm getting easily six up and six down. And I load Nextcloud Talk on the Rock 64, and it's still the video just isn't able to hang. So the bottleneck was not my internet net connection. So depending on your use case for Nextcloud, will directly tell you what kind of hardware you should run it on. If you need to have the Nextcloud video conferencing talk, aka mm -hmm. Teams, aka Google um, Meet, aka Jitsi, aka Skype, aka Google Hangouts, if you want that collaboration of video conferencing with multiple people back and forth, uh, you're probably going to have to put it on x86 hardware is what I'm going to think. Mm -hmm. But, 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 I said but three times, um, with the advancement in NextCloud's optimization, I could see a time when a simple ARM device, in air quotes, will be sufficient to run anything that NextCloud can run. It's just, you know, um, March 10th, 2021 is not the date. Yeah, I, I've seen different things going on. I can't, you know, I'm not going to talk further about it because I don't have scientific information. What I'll say is um, my Odroid XU4, which was my Plex server, and my N2, my Odroid N2, which is my current Plex server, I, I still have them both up and running. They, they seem to get bogged down, and I don't know if the scripts are pulling down higher-resolution videos and they're tougher to process, where in the past I never had an issue. So it could be a couple of things. It could be the code base getting larger and it's slower, and maybe it's not as efficient. Uh, it could be that I have you know a higher-resolution video. So I said I wasn't going to talk about it, and I talked about it now. Well, in your uh, Plex um settings like manager interface you can mm -hmm. set what is the default resolution or bit rate for any yeah. connection that you get uh, my suggestion first would be to turn that down secondly have you installed either something like bash top or pie top on that device which i'll put it like this it is as light as you could expect monitoring system to where on a full desktop or laptop computer, you could SSH into that device and then run bash top or pie top. And you could see all of the resources and what everything is using. Yeah, I haven't and, done that. Well, because my logic is it's not, there's no way it's the network interface that's bogging down in Plex. I would have a hard time believing it's the like disk IO bogging it down as well. Um, and if you're not going 4k video, I don't know if that would be the processor or GPU. So I only say that because I'd be really interested to what is being maxed out. Mm, good, good question. I, I will have to do that. I'll, I'll have to run something that I know bogs it down and then try and figure out what's going on. Well, and I hope it's something as stupid as, well, it's the swap drive getting bogged down, just get rid of the swap drive or something mm -hmm. like that simple. Um, as I don't even know how to put it like this, but, we here on the mini PC show like to believe we are ultra forward thinkers. Okay. Um, back in like 2012, we talked about arm processors being the future. I'm sure nobody believed us. I'm sure people thought we were idiots. I don't care. Um, there's an article here on uh tech spot. And, and this is a number that I want people to really truly sit down and calculate for themselves. Every second of 2020, Every second of 2020, so 60 times a minute times 60 times an hour times 24, 60 times 60 times 24, that's a big number, folks. That number for the entire year, 60 times 60 times 20 times 365, 842 ARM chips were built. 60 times 60 times 24 times 365 times 842. Nobody, wow. nobody in their right mind could have foreseen that kind of thing happening. Now, here's the thing. Because of the sheer number of chips that are being built, we, the consumers, are now allotted the cheapest processing power we've ever had by far. Long story short, the last phone I had was a Honor P20 Lite. $240. And when I got the phone, 
it worked fine, but it was painfully obvious it was not a high-end device. It was a budget device. It ran really smooth, but it was a little bit smaller, a little bit more narrow, a little bit less RAM, a little bit less storage, a little bit less blah, blah, blah. But it ran really, really, really good. I just got a OnePlus Nord N100 for 170 bucks. And if I put that in someone's hand, they're not going to be able to tell me if it's a $170 device or a $1,000 device. Um, we, the consumers, are beneficiaries of, again, 60 times 60 times 24 times 365 times 842. That makes the cost to the end consumer come down greatly. And with the ramping up that I'm seeing of risk v we're going to see the same kind of benefits out of that ecosystem in maybe two and a half years is what I'm going to say. That's crazy cool. That, and that's a big deal. And you know what? I am so sick of paying a thousand dollars for a cell phone. And, and I, I'm like, I'm off, I'm off that crack. Well, I mean, if the arm ecosystem can do something that only the arm ecosystem can do, well, then we have no choice. We're going to be in it till it's over. But, I honestly think the ARM ecosystem was designed in such a way that it really can only do what anybody can do. Granted, the high ends can do stuff quicker, but um, Snapdragon, MediaTek, uh, Exynos from Samsung, everybody is still pushing the envelope so hard forward on efficiency and optimization. Um, I don't, I still don't know how Intel is going to be alive in like three to five years. They're they're going to have to come up with something. And, you know, I don't know how much Apple leaving Intel hurts them because I don't know how many Apple machines are moved, but Apple is going ARM or, you know, their version of ARM. Let's just say that because they build their own silicone. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I don't think monetarily it means a bit of difference because the number of Intel um, Mac hardware being sold didn't compare to anything that Dell sold. HP sold, Acer sold, Asus sold, Lenovo sold, or anybody sold. But I'm sure it was a black eye. I'm sure it hurt, like, in the public sphere, in the public how-do-we-appear-to-you kind of ecosystem a lot. Um, now, with that stated, as soon as that happened, Intel, I believe it was, completely fired their CEO and their complete top-level staff, closed two plants, um, one of them in Asia, one of them in Western U.S., and assigned a brand-new CEO who announced, hey, I'm an impact player. I know how to shake things up. I'm going to make things different. I'm going to do things better. Um, and they've talked a great game. They've done, as far as I can tell, nothing since then, but they talk a fantastic game. Um, unless we hear something substantial out of Intel in the next 18 months, um, uh, they're just going to, in my opinion, continue to just fade into obscurity, it, into the niche. Yeah, I Intel, I know I have some insider information, and it's kind of a mystery to me, some of the crap that goes on there. I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this so wrong? Um, I, don't, I don't know that I can share the information that I know. That's, you know, but it, I... It might be considered industry best practices, but as far as Rich Hughes management style goes, they're not doing it right. And you know, I'm talking about the guys that are designing the chips and the way that they're managing that. And I'm just kind of surprised at what they're doing. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Now, since we've only done, I believe, one show in 2021, let's take some time to say, since we talked about all this advancement, like literally near insane advancement in stuff in the last two months okay we have raspberry pi with a whole new platform that is immensely more open than their previous platform number one we have pine really pushing hard towards consumer kind of things announcing the end of the community phone and to me that just flagpoles that we're at the end of being a development platform, and we're going to try now to be an end-user platform kind of thing. Um, they announced a whole new RISC-V platform coming from Pine people. We also have Intel announcing like the high-end NUC um, platform is going to advance by another degree. We have um, NVIDIA buying the SoftBank 
purchase a bank of ARM processors. We have RISC-V with like 20 boards being announced in the next, you know, 20 months kind of thing. If there was one or two things that you might try to say you think could happen by the end of 2021 in mini PC ecosystems, do you have any like predictions you feel comfortable saying out loud? I, I just think there's too much in the mix right now. I, I think, look, competition is always good for the final, the consumer. It's always good for what product ends in your hands. Because if you have three competing architectures going at it um, and in the same market, you know, whether it's single board computing or small size computing, that's that's a big deal. They're, they're each got to up their game. They got to, they don't, I don't know this for sure, but I always felt like some manufacturers, let's just take video cameras, for instance, I, I would, it just seemed to me like they had a game plan of what they're going to release each year as features that would make the prior year I was doing pro stuff. So a camera was 10 grand. So that $10,000 camera you bought the year before if you didn't make enough profit on that, that thing was worthless because somebody for $1,000 could go to Best Buy and buy something that had better, sharper images, saw in less light, had more features to it, fill in the blank, blah. And you're getting your lunch eaten. And that's actually why I got out of the market, out of the video production business, because the technology was moving so fast. Even when you thought you had something super good, it was worthless in two years. You couldn't give it away. You dropped out. No, I didn't drop out. So I, I think what what's going on is that we we got three architectures competing for a dollar, and it who knows? We might not be using ARM too far in the future. It might be all risk V. I'm I would be very shocked if Intel was the big winner in the future. They could they could pull it out, but I I think they would have to do a massive reorganization. And that's one thing I find, see, I'm always bordering on what information I can share. Let's just say I know an organization and they've had a money crunch in the last 12 months. Well, we all know virtual infrastructure runs on storage. And if you don't have enough storage, you're not going to work in the future. And it's one of those things that at the worker bee level, everybody knows you need to buy more storage or you're not going to have a company. But once you get up that management chain, they're like, why do they need to buy disks? It's like, because that's where your data goes and we keep growing. And you, you have organizations that, you know, way before it even gets to the C-suite, that they're deaf. They just know buzz crap that goes on. They, they're not, you know, let, let's take even VMware uh, as an organization. They, I don't think the top level management knows anything about even what their product is or does. I think they know like, ooh, we, we've got like a team doing this and the buzz about this product is good. So we'll focus on that. I, I don't think any organization, maybe other than Elon Musk, actually knows what the workers are doing. Hey, thank you for making that comparison. Um. Because I can tell you Nutanix is the Tesla of enterprise infrastructure. When they sell you a piece of hardware, when you buy a Tesla, there's so much that you are given, but you don't have access to. Whether it is extended battery, whether it is extra features in the dash or the extra games, it's already there. You just don't have access to it. You don't even know it's there. New new um new autonics uh, as a platform when they sell you the hardware infrastructure, they actually secretly include into the price eight to three um, eight to thirty times, sorry, the amount of infrastructure that you need. So when you do need something, they just say, Oh, do you need that? Okay, we can turn it on for you right now. And then they just flick a switch and magically it just is there. And you don't know it's been there the whole time. Um when it comes to mini computing and computing in general, I'll just put it like this. There's one wave coming on every platform, enterprise, residential, third world, first world, that I think is coming on like a tidal wave and it's going to destroy multiple infrastructures to where they didn't exist. Like they'll turn them into ruins. They'll turn them into like what's in Turkey buried 3000 years ago. And that is the low code and no code movement. Um, for those who don't know, it's basically, you have a couple key developers 
working in a central office who are hyper hardcore coders. Okay. You only need to have maybe 10 to 300 of them versus the previous ecosystem would need, you know, 300 to 3000 of those coders. Now you just need a little bit less of them. And then what's given to the end user is not a completed solution. Instead, you're given a platform to where you can derive solutions with either no code at all, it's just configuration, or it's low code where you just need to know a little bit of SQL, a little bit of this, and you can do anything that's ever been done. And for those who never heard of the Ontario, I can't say it right, the Canadian city, Ontario, Ontario project was one of the very first low code projects that ever existed. Uh, it was budgeted like $200 million came in at $20 million and then they were able to resell it and make like over $200 billion in like four years kind of thing. It was one of the first low code solutions that ever existed. Whoever can bring that kind of ecosystem to their platform will be the winner. And with that stated, the reason why the Nintendo switch as a gaming platform has been destroying everybody is because Nvidia made it very purposeful that the coding platform to their system would not be a high code system. You wouldn't have to know every bout of bit of code to it. They presented the developers with a very low code solution into order to translate their projects into them or to create something from scratch. With that stated, NVIDIA announced that entire platform that that whole ecosystem is based on will no longer be produced in the next year. They're moving on to something greater, which I also believe is going to be simpler and easier. And NVIDIA just bought SoftBank's ARM purchase. With that stated, any other platform is going to have a really hard time competing with ARM for the next two to three years. Intel has no chance at all of competing with being anything like forward thinking. The stuff you right now today, you have to have an Intel processor to run on. In two to three years, we're not going to say that. We're going to say you have to have an ARM processor to run it. And then maybe you can run it on an Intel processor. I do think RISC-V will make significant advancements, but I don't think RISC-V is going to be a actual player uh, for like three to four years. Uh, but I do think RISC-V has the most potential out of all of them. So with that said, pretty soon, Maybe by the end of the year, we're going to have game consoles in the palm of our hands. Literally, full-blown, first-tier game consoles in our hand. We're going to be able to have microcontrollers, less than 20 bucks, that you can put on the edge of your network and do neural processing, facial recognition, any kind of like off thing like that, where you don't need to tax it a lot, but when you need to tax it, you need to tax it greatly. Um. We're going to be able to like one click set up lots of things just like that little beauty right there um, on the edge of our network with just a minimal amount of coding experience. We're only going to really need to understand how to flash an SD card and run one or two commands, and then it will be able to do everything else. Um, you know, people are terrified about Google and Amazon and Microsoft taking over the whole central knowledge of everything with edge computing and Linux. The amount of advancements to me that's made in the last year and a half, two years, the real danger in air quotes is everybody having more data than any individual organization could ever even dream of. Uh, because I do think the platforms will be able to put the power back in the hands of the user as long as the user has a good custodian, a good nerd that they can confide with to help guide them in the right way of doing things. And maybe, just maybe, people will be able to understand how to put out open hardware projects with open software on them and sell them to individuals, yet at a profit to them with greater privacy to the end consumer. I think that has a possibility of happening by the end of 2021. Maybe not, though. I'm not going to hold my breath. It, it is a very interesting world, and I think one of the things going on is all of the big IT companies has proven to us that we need to have decentralized infrastructure that we actually control ourselves. And Absolutely. It's, I've, I've long touted the, the concept because in 1999, if I wanted to write a web-based dating service, I would have to have a rack mount machine at an ISP 
it was a phenomenal amount of money. Now I could just go to the Amazon cloud and do that. But maybe if I don't have 57 genders listed and I only have two, they might deplatform me. Well, so, well, and you would have to be able to have the knowledge to program it in such a way that they can't see into your ecosystem, which is not an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's uh, so I, I think, you know, big tech kind of shot themselves in a the foot uh, because it's long been the idea that, hey, I don't have to build a building. I don't have to, you know, have redundant power supplies, redundant ISPs. I don't have to have security, etc. For my server room, I can just go with Google or, you know, fill in the blank, whoever's out there. But now they've brought it back to like, well, if you if there's social pressure against your company for like maybe you maybe let's just say you're McDonald's and you're on the Amazon cloud and maybe somebody's mad at your straws or mad at your container or mad at whatever, you might get deplatformed. Yeah. So, I mean, what if somebody could offer a platform where the data is agnostic? I mean, because I, to me. Every, because I, I don't know if you're aware of this, I'm old, okay? AMP, AMP Supermarket, back in, I want to say, 81, 82, there was congressional hearings set up to completely separate them, completely destroy AMP because they were a monopoly. Thankfully, government moves so slow from the time that the AMP hearings were held or uh, scheduled to the time they were held AMP nearly went bankrupt and had to sell 80% of their stores because um, government moves slower than anything has ever existed. I believe there is a niche. There's a, there is a needle hole that can be shot to where someone can offer a platform where what you host is your responsibility. We're not the responsibility. You're the responsibility. In fact, we can't even see what you're hosting. All we see is the fact that you pay us money and we give you resources kind of thing. Um, I could see a platform opening up in the future where, dare I say, it pushes responsibility to you to where they're not responsible, to where they still didn't even have the power to the platform, nor promote, nor scrape your data, nor sell your data to somebody else. Um, well, and that's like the power company or the phone company. They don't care what you say on the phone or yeah, yeah. you know what you use your electric for, whether I'm heating my pool with it or I'm running you know, a respirator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want somebody to offer that kind of service. And I'll pay them money. Because like I said, I will pay anybody money who I believe is going to benefit other people at the same time as me. Um, you know, and I think there's I think there's an opening there. But somebody has to figure it out. And it's not going to be Apple. <laughs> it's not going to be Microsoft. It's not going to be Amazon. It's not going to be any of those people. It's going to be somebody small. Probably like a first time immigrant to this country who like can't speak English correctly. And maybe his like family is in some Indian small town, not Indiana, by the way, you're not Native American Indian. It's very possible. For a while, I was thinking between, you know, Google, Apple, uh, Microsoft, that nothing will change. But I think they, they've kind of made it happen. They've kind of forced the situation that there's going to need to be change. Yeah, and all three companies, including Facebook, are like inviting regulation because they know mm -hmm. once regulation hits their company, it's going to be really hard for an upstart to do the same regulation, which is why right. you need somebody to come in and cut them off at their kneecaps before government, slow government, has time to interlude. Now, with that stated, the only thing I'm positive about when it comes to mini computers is at the end of 2021, Raspberry Pi is going to keep shocking me. Because I think I know what they're going to do. I think they know what they're going to believe. But I think they're going to keep shocking me. Number two, uh, not only is Pine64 going to do great things, not only is Odroid going to do a, some more great things, but I think we're going to see two to three other companies stand up and do more microcomputing things on more of an open platform because they see whether you're creating that little barcade, arcade top device or you're creating a water sensor for your hot water heater, or you want to create some private infrastructure to host IP cameras kind of things, there's a market in that. Um, so I think we're going to, as many PC consumers, going to have just a greater breadth and depth of choices to our um, uh, selection pool. And I do think 
the majority of winners in this device will be more open infrastructure. Amen. And with that said, Rich, A, A, always love talking to you. B, I am always disappointed when I hear you on another podcast because I don't feel like it's at the same (laughs) level between us. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, uh, you know, I better not say anything. Don't. Anyhow. I love you. And if I was to say, hey, how can I get myself some more Flying Rich? What's the easiest way to do that? Uh, flyingrich.com or youtube.com slash flyingrich or let's see, I'm on Instagram as flyingrich underscore official. And I'm like on MySpace and all, all of the other social medias out there as Flying Rich. Well, and if any of those links are not in the notes, please shoot them my way because they will be in the notes. Um, if you, as a listener to this show, you first and foremost have to understand you're not a listener into the show. You're an active participant into this show. You are what I call a Podnutsians. Whether you are Red, Charles, um, Christian, uh, anybody else, Chatter, who partakes in any of this content, um, you're an equal. You're not a listener. If you want to partake into this show, it's it. we try to make it as easy as possible. At minipc at podnuts.com is the email address. In the links to the notes, we have access to our matrix servers, access to you know, uh, Mastodon, on Discord, on Twitter, on Facebook. If you ping me directly, I promise I will try to answer. If you don't, well, I'm not. And the only way, the best way to support any podcast you listen to is not to leave a review. Quick tangent. If any podcaster tells you, If you leave a review, you're going to help that podcast. They're an invalid amateur who doesn't understand how podcasting works. Leaving a review helps the platform you leave the review on, never the podcast. And I'll ask you, listener, when have you said, hmm, I want to check out this podcast, but let me check out these reviews first. No, no one has ever said that. Okay. If you want to help a show out, email that show directly. Tell them you're a value to them or, and, Announce to your friends, hey, I found this podcast. I like the people who are on it. I like the topics that they're talking about. Those are the only two ways you can help a podcast. To leave a review is about as pointless as changing your avatar on a social media platform to show your activism. Okay. It's about like that. So, with that said, I love everyone who supports us, whether you're subscribing or following. I don't care what you call it. Thank you for the support. Thank you for the downloads. Thank you for communicating with us. Thank you for your patience with us because we are not perfect. We try to put out shows when we can, and we will definitely talk to everyone as soon as we possibly can, hopefully in a week or two, about Mini Talk Big Machines. I love you, Rich. Good seeing you, man. Take, take, take it easy, everybody. Hi, this is Matt from the MRP Tech Podcast. I would like to invite you all to take a listen to my show, the MRP Tech Podcast, on the Podnuts Network. The theme for my show is Everyday Tech for Everyday People. We talk about Windows, Mac, Linux, iOS, Android, Chrome OS, and anything else technology-related. You can find us on iTunes, and you can find us by searching in any podcatcher. We hope you take a listen, and let us know what you think.